Aristarchos, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, receive him, and Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a great comfort to me. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Give my greetings to the brethren at Laodicea, and to Nympha, and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you read also the letter from Laodicea, and say to Archippos, See that you fulfill the ministry which you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my fetters. Grace be with you. to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this 
that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to babes. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Before I even begin the homily, I think it's important for all of us to be reminded of the fact that when we come to the Divine Liturgy, we are literally participating mystically in what is always going on in the Kingdom of Heaven. What that means for us is that Christ is present, that the Father and the Holy Spirit are fully present, that the icons around us and before us remind us that all of the saints and all of the bodiless powers that surround the throne of God and stand before the altar stand around this throne of God and this holy altar and surround us even though we can't necessarily see them with our physical eyes. And so we need to remember that when we go to the Divine Liturgy and we enter into the gates of the church and we stand before the throne of God and the holy altar, that we come to be transformed, to be transfigured, to be changed. We should not leave the church after a Divine Liturgy the same way as when we came. And it's not just because we're receiving the Holy Body and the Precious Blood. For even if we don't receive the Holy Mysteries, we should still be transformed and changed by the very fact that we were present and gathered as the body of Christ and that we receive the grace of God who is present in our midst. And the homily is an integral part of the Divine Liturgy. And even the words of the homily whether they are well-organized or disorganized, whether they are well-delivered or poorly delivered, there's truth there. And that truth needs to transform us and change us. And we should be praying to God while the homily is going on that our hearts would be open, that the soil of that heart would be deep and fertile, that we would receive the truth and that we would let it change us every single time whether we are young or whether we are old. And so with that, let us begin the homily. Today's Gospel reading is chosen because of the memory of the Apostle and the Evangelist Luke. And the same is true for the Epistle reading. And the Gospel of Luke... Chapter 10, verses 1 through 24, in their entirety, talk about the calling, the sending out of the apostles among the 70. 
For there weren't just 12 apostles that Christ chose, but there was an additional group of 70 that he also chose, that he also <clears throat> blessed and gave them the Holy Spirit. And he sent them out two by two. And I wanted to read the opening verses of chapter 10 of the Gospel of Luke. And the reason why we focus on this is because Luke himself was chosen to be one of the 70. Quote, The Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Unquote. So many of the names that we hear mentioned by the Apostle Paul and others in the letters of the New Testament are those of the Holy Seventy Apostles. I'm not going to read all of their names to you, but if you were to look at the list, you'd say, oh, I've heard that one before. Oh, I've heard that one before. Oh, that's who that person is. But there are some famous names among the Seventy that I did want to read to you. And it's interesting that whether they're famous to us or whether they're unknown, almost all of them became bishops and many of them became martyrs. Apollos, Barnabas, James the brother of the Lord, first bishop of Jerusalem, Luke the evangelist, Mark the evangelist, Philemon, who received one of Paul's letters, the letter of St. Paul to Philemon, Philip the deacon, one of the seven deacons, who we commemorated last Sunday, Stephen the archdeacon and the very first martyr, was one of the seventy. Timothy, who received two letters from the Apostle Paul. Titus, who received one letter and was the first bishop of Crete, who also, as a spiritual child who loved the Apostle Paul, was there in Rome and took the remains of his martyred body and buried it. So in many respects, we have to remember that these 70 men, filled with the Holy Spirit, having received the laying on of hands, who were sent out two by two, were the first missionaries and the first evangelists of the Christian church. Their task, as the gospel says, was to go before the Lord into every city and every village, house by house, and to prepare the way, to make ready these people to receive the teaching, the preaching, the presence of Christ the Messiah. Very important responsibility. But they were going among people who were not always receptive. They were going among people who had their own perception of who the Messiah would be, of who they wanted Him to be, who they felt like they needed Him to be. There were some people who were open and receptive and there were some people who were absolutely closed and were enemies of Christ's disciples. This is why he said, Behold, I send you out 
as lambs among the wolves. As I was thinking about that, I was thinking that it's not so dissimilar to our audience today. There are some people that are open, and there are some people who are closed, increasingly closed, actually adversarially closed. There are people out there who have all kinds of ideas about what Christianity is, about who Jesus Christ is, about what the church is about, about what the kingdom of heaven is about, about the meaning of salvation, you name it. There are a variety of ideas out there. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the religious landscape of America. And I've shared this with you, but when we think of the United States, we typically or historically think about it as a Christian Judeo society. When I was growing up, almost all of my neighbors were Christians who went to some church. They were affiliated. Their parents were affiliated. Their grandparents were affiliated. They were generationally of some faith tradition within Christendom. I could take that for granted, but we cannot take that for granted today. The Pew Research Institute, probably the largest research institute that looks at the religious landscape of our country, from 2007 to 2014, says that the absolute largest growing segment of the population are those who are now considering themselves to be non-religious, non-affiliated, not with a Jewish faith and certainly not with a Christian faith. That means that they are leaving the faith of their family, the faith of their ancestors, the faith that has historically been a part of the generations who came before them. People are leaving churches This is the thing that comes out of this Pew research. We can no longer take for granted that we are living in a Judeo-Christian society. And so the words of our Lord, when He says, The harvest is great, but the people who are willing to go out and to share and to witness and to teach about Me are few, should ring loudly in our ears. You know, the church never ever picks a reading. Epistle reading, gospel reading, Old Testament reading. Unless the church can say that this is relevant for every one of us today. In our own context. This reading is relevant for us today. When the Lord says that the harvest is great, but the workers are few... He's looking at us. He's looking at the harvest that is probably greater today than it's ever been since the time of Christ Himself. If people are leaving the church of their ancestors, most of them were never Orthodox. They're not necessarily leaving the Orthodox church, although it's true, Orthodox are leaving the Orthodox church. But that means that all of those people that now fill out none when it comes to their religious affiliation, N-O-N-E, not (laughs) N-U-N, they're part of the harvest. It doesn't mean that they're not seeking. 
It means that they're confused. It means that they have been inoculated, spiritually speaking. They have gone to church, they have been in an organized religion, and they have found it wanting. They've been inoculated with a partial truth, a bad witness of Christianity, which makes them right for the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And so when the Lord says that the harvest is great, He's saying, now, in October of 2015, in Portland, Oregon, the harvest is great. But where are the laborers to send out? And when He says to His disciples, you should pray concerning the harvest, because it's important to Me. And you should pray about sending laborers out there. He's saying to us, this should be part of our prayer life. We should be praying out of love. Love for God, but love for the ones that He is concerned about. Can you imagine being God the Creator and intimately knowing every single human being that you have created and wanting them as a lover desires his beloved to be with you forever in the kingdom of heaven? And I'm talking about each one of us. He knows us. He does not desire that we be separated from Him. And so He wants to go out after us. And who does He use to do that? Us. So the question is, are we going to pray? Are we going to align our will with God's will? Are we going to love our neighbor and our enemy as much as God loves them? Do we see them as the image of Christ and truly our brother and sister? This is a question that you should be praying about. Now, I want to bring it to the two readings of this day. Because Jesus says to His disciples, and are we not His disciples? Are we not members of the body of Christ? Are we not gathered here so that we can manifest our oneness with one another and with Him through the one bread and the one blood? So He says to us, He who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. And rejects Him who sent me. I don't know what that does to you. But when I hear that, I feel a tremendous personal responsibility. The reason that I bear the name Christian is because when people look at me, they either say, He's like Christ, or He is not like Christ. How many of your co-workers know that you're a Christian? How many of your family members know that you're a Christian? How many of your neighbors know that you are a Christian? How many of your friends and the people that you are acquainted with, that you're in hobbies with, that you socialize with, know that you are a Christian? Then you bear the same responsibility as I do because they're watching you. If they reject you because you're unchristian, they're rejecting Christ and the Father who sent Him. If you give a good witness and you have something to offer them, love, patience, kindness, humility, obedience, a healed life free from the passions, sinlessness as much as is possible with us, a selflessness that goes out and it shows concern for them. If your life is a reflection of Christ and the kingdom, they're going to accept Him. 
and accept the Father who sent Him. This is weighty stuff, my dear brothers and sisters. And this is why the Apostle Paul says to the Colossian community, Therefore conduct yourselves wisely toward the outsiders. He doesn't say conduct yourself unwisely towards the insiders, but he says conduct yourself wisely towards the outsiders. Be gracious in your speech. That carries with it a whole lot of meaning. Because with a mouth we can bless and be creative and give life. And with a mouth we can curse and break down and be death-dealing in the way that we use our speech. And nothing comes out of this mouth if it doesn't first proceed from this heart. And if Christ dwells in my heart, then of course my, gra- my speech will be gracious. And notice that the Apostle Paul says that our speech should be seasoned with salt. St. John Chrysostom says, don't just be nice. People can be tearing down Christ in front of you and you can be nice to them. There's no salt. There's no light. There's no truth. There's no love. There's nothing there that holds them accountable to what is going to be the difference maker when they go before the judgment seat of Christ. If we love our neighbor, if we love our enemy, if we love everyone who comes across our path, then we need to season our speech not just with graciousness, but with salt and with truth respectfully because we love them, because Christ loves them and we honor Christ. How we act is the gospel for everyone that we meet. They may never get another chance. Your witness may make the difference in their life. My dear brothers and sisters, I want to close by honoring the example of St. Luke himself. And I know we have a few Lukes in our parish, and to them I say many, many years. But the Apostle Luke was a pagan. He studied Greek philosophy. He then came to Jerusalem... And he encountered Christ and was an eyewitness of his teaching, of the authority and the grace and the graciousness that came from him. And he believed. And he started following. And the Lord took notice of him and his faith and the change that was being wrought by the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life. And he chose him to be one of the 70 apostles and sent him out. And then after... The crucifixion, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. He was on his way to Emmaus with Cleopas. And they encountered the risen Lord. And he opened their hearts and their eyes to see him for who he was. And they became eyewitnesses to the rest of the apostles of the resurrection. And then after Pentecost and the Holy Spirit came down, he became a fellow traveler and co-worker with Paul. Everywhere Paul went, Luke went. Even to Rome, where he was present when Paul was martyred. And after Paul was martyred, again the Holy Spirit sent him out. And know that he was a physician. He was highly educated. But everywhere he went, he was like a homeless man, bereft as all the apostles were of all the niceties of the world. He went to Italy, to Macedonia, to Libya, to Egypt, and to Greece, preaching and teaching and pouring out his life into others. 
Because blessed are the feet of those who bring good news. Finally, for the sake of Christ, and I mean for the sake of Christ, and for the sake of those that he was preaching to. Sometimes we make it all about us. I don't want to share. I don't want to say my prayer in front of anybody. I don't want to make the sign of the cross in front of somebody because I don't want them to think I'm weird. I don't want them to reject me. I don't want them to ask me a question that I may not be able to answer. I don't want to feel uncomfortable. I don't want to be separated from the herd. I don't want to be singled out or isolated. We cannot make it about us. The Apostle Luke was tortured and finally hung on an olive tree, giving his life so that he might have life, becoming for once and for all united with Christ and the kingdom of heaven in a way that is truly significant for us. So my dear brothers and sisters, the harvest is truly great, but the laborers are not great. Look around and see that the life that we live and the world we live in is increasingly unchristian. People are dying right in front of us spiritually. We have the medicine of immortality and the antidote to death. We have the good news. And they, believe it or not, no matter how they look on the outside, are hungering and thirsting for Christ. Every human being is. And we are His extension. So let us go out and pray for this harvest, pray for the laborers, and add our name to that list of those that the Lord can count on to be His witnesses. Amen.